Welcome to the brand spanking new podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, Mike Leach accuses Texas Tech for stiffing him out of a paycheck. LeBron James wants to trademark the phrase Taco Tuesday and take over a specific food chain's monopoly of midweek Mexican food. And Jerry Jones and Ezekiel Elliott still cannot decide who has the better corsage of flowers attached to their prom dress. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, on Saturday evening, the Indianapolis Colts pulled yet another blunderous move in their history of blunderous blundermucks by leaking to reporters that Andrew Luck would be taking his talents to the golf course in South Beach, which in turn instigated emotional reactions from drunk loyalists at a preseason game in Indianapolis, which in turn provoked a tearful yet improv press conference by a deteriorating man who has been physically bombshelled for four straight years. Said Luck at his press conference, I'm in pain. I'm still in pain. I've been in this cycle, which feels like, I mean, it's been four years of this injury, pain, rehab cycle. And for me to move forward in my life the way I want to, it doesn't involve football. Many Colts fans and football fans altogether questioned Luck's motives and heretically called for his head. And in some ways, they're right, due to the fact that for the first time since Deflategate, their team had an actual shot at making the Super Bowl. And for their marquee quarterback, arguably one of the top three play callers in the league, to decide to hang up his cleats, yeah, we get it. That's got to be more maddening than Chip and Joanna Gaines' attempts to make Waco a more hospitable place to live than Jonestown, Guyana. But in all fairness, he's not John McClain for crying out loud. He isn't a fictional action hero performing ludicrous tasks such as killing German terrorists while doing the icky shuffle barefoot on shards of glass or stopping a 747 from taking off in a blizzard while harpooning it from a blazing snowmobile. No, what Andrew Luck has done is beyond any John McClain feat. This man threw for over 23,000 yards, had 171 touchdowns, and an 89.5% career passer rating, all while getting the American History X curb treatment week in and week out. In his six seasons in the NFL, Luck dealt with torn cartilage in his ribs, a partially torn ab muscle, a kidney laceration, a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder that kept him sidelined the entire 2017 season, a minimum of one diagnosed and confirmed concussion, and this mysterious cankle injury that was essentially the straw breaking the Colts' back. Can you imagine sitting in a job interview and your future employers turn to you and say, we are literally going to beat the piss out of you so bad that it will instead be transformed into blood before it touches the urinal cakes. Also, overtime is capped at 50 hours, and you are only granted a seven-minute lunch on even-numbered days. No, that is ludicrous, and if a man wants to walk away from $58 million simply because at this moment in time he can actually walk away using both of his two feet and not by the assistance of a prosthetic device, then by all means, you do you, Andrew. If your own line, front office, and even owner can't protect you, then you have every right to give the peace sign on your way out the door. Second, the college football season began that same evening but was launched into hyperdrive by Thursday night. It was a riveting week of undervalued programs getting obliterated by Power 5 juggernauts, including Penn State's 79-7 dismantling of the University of Idaho, Washington State's 58-7 drubbing of New Mexico State, and, of course, the incredibly tense 62-0 nail-biter win for UCF over Florida A&M. But this weekend was not all about Power 5 victories, as one of the greatest games occurred on the shores of the Tennessee River, where Georgia State stunned the University of Tennessee 38-30 in Knoxville. For the record, Tennessee actually paid Georgia State $950,000 to come and obliterate their confidence in front of over 85,000 fans singing Rocky Top. 
This was not the first time an FCS school beat a Power 5 team, nor was it the first time an FCS team from Georgia has done this to an SEC school, which has long been touted as one of the most powerful conferences in the history of college football. You may remember in November of 2013 as the University of Florida played their typical cupcake game when the Georgia Southern Eagles took down the Gators 26-20 in Gainesville. And this isn't the only instance of this happening. In fact, it is becoming more and more prevalent. You may remember Troy beating LSU in 2017, James Madison shaming of Virginia Tech in 2010, and of course, the famous, the mother of all embarrassments, classic Appalachian State taking it to the Wolverines at the Big House, 34-32 on a last-second block field goal. If my memory serves me correctly, I do remember Septa Unella giving Lloyd Carr the same treatment she gave Cersei Lannister by yelling out the word shame as he walked out of the Big House in King's Landing naked while Wolverine fans pelted him with rotten food. What this upset means in the ranks of college football is that lower-level teams are not going to sit back and be embarrassed. They will do everything in their power to embrace the warm welcome to your stadium, gracefully accept the six-figure check you've generously donated to their institution, and in turn pummel you to oblivion in front of your home fans. That's how much these games mean to them. Nothing gives them more satisfaction. With this in mind, for all athletic directors shaking in their shoes wondering how to avoid this potential cringe fest, here's a solution. Pay less money to weaker schools. This will easily ensure you will not get embarrassed while your inebriated fans relive the glory days of Manning. Don't want to lose to Georgia State? Why not throw Joliet Junior College on your schedule? Tired of Troy unleashing a wooden horse in your end zone? Call the assistant principal of McKinley High School and ask if he's on board for a warm-up game in September. Sick to death that Appalachian State blocked your game-winning field goal at the Big House? Get head coach Danny O'Shea of the Little Giants on the line and tell him that Icebox and Jake are going to get run over by Spike and the rest of the Wolverines this Saturday, all for the small price of a box of sliced oranges. Or, or, to avoid all of this, just be the school you've been cemented as for the last 50 years and take these FCS games seriously. Your choice. Finally, Rory McIlroy won the FedEx Cup on Saturday, shooting a 2-under-68, holding off Brooks Kepka by four strokes in the final standings. The win was memorable for McElroy in the sense that he joins Tiger Woods as the only two players to win multiple FedEx Cups in their careers. Interestingly enough, the win secured McElroy as the top dog of the PGA Tour and also secured him a $15 million payday for the 2019 season alone. Just in comparison, you may ask, how is that in relation to, say, other famous golfers that have played? Well, take Jack Nicklaus, for example. The greatest man to ever hold a putter in the history of the sport made a whopping $5.7 million in his career. That's right, Jack Nicklaus, the Golden Bear, the GOAT, the best player without discussion, the only person to win 18 majors, made 66% less money in 25 years on the tour than Rory McIlroy made in a measly 12 months. Here's an even more shocking statistic. Professional golfer Tony Finau has been on tour for four years and has made over $16 million in career earnings. Yes, Finau has made more money in four years than the Golden Bear made in his entire career. This then begs the even crazier question, why does anyone in the world want to go into any industry besides golf? We now shift to what matters this week, which for our pilot episode concerns the subject of loyalty, or what the infamous Lando Calrissian calls, huh, what's that? We have just witnessed the craziest summer in the history of NBA free agency, a summer that created false senses of security and victory for some teams while returning crippling devastation for others. 
let's be honest, this summer in NBA free agency was more intriguing than who shot JR, who shot Mr. Burns, or who or whom Negan beat to death with Lucille, which, on a side note, was in fact the last pivotal moment of the Walking Dead franchise. This was the summer of love, of betrayal, and of Carmelo Anthony leaking streams of footage showing all of the hard work he is now finally putting into the Summit Gym. You go, Mello. The Hornets will pick you up by Christmas. We have never before witnessed a musical chair shuffling of free agents and players locked in contracts than ever before in the history of the NBA, which, on a positive note, gives at least 10 teams hope that they actually have a shot at winning an NBA title. As great as this may be for this season, one of the underlying effects is that this was an offseason littered with short-term deals, which inevitably will evolve into short-term relationships, which could, in essence, eliminate at least part of the core group mentality for years to come. With that being said, let's unpack what happened, what this means, and what will happen for years to come in the NBA every July 1st at 6 p.m. from here on out. First, free agency is a free-for-all. Players have the power, which they should. The NBA is a league of stars, of characters, of people who, when their face pops up on a State Farm commercial, you discuss how you enjoy their comedic pairing with Oscar from The Office rather than in a backcourt with James Harden for the last two years. Where the NFL has the shield, baseball has your grandpa's newspaper clippings, hockey has Canada, the NBA has the most iconic group of individuals showcasing their lives on social media. Along with these icons, there has been a shift with the most recent collective bargaining agreement, which instigated by the Players Union looks to take care of the NBA players in short-term increments. Gone are the days where contracts will last longer than four years. Five years in a deal has now become yesterday's news. Where baseball looks to lock up players in decade increments, the NBA looks to wine and dine their players for brief instances, only to see them jump ship when the grass begins to look a little greener in Detroit. Which is surprising to say that grass actually does in fact grow in Detroit. Of the top 30 longest deals in professional sports, baseball has 28 of the most lengthy contracts, with the longest being Bryce Harper's 13-year deal with the Philadelphia Phillies, which he signed this past spring. The first glimpse of an NBA contract comes in at spot number 31, with James Harden's six-year $228 million deal, which by NBA standards is a lifetime in locked money. This summer in free agency was littered with two, three, and four-year deals, many of which can be cut in half for player options if the supposed players decide they want to take their talents to or away from Orange County. Which brings us to the second elephant in the room blissfully hovering over NBA free agency. Regardless of how long a player hypothetically decides to sign his name to a contract, he can at any point return to the maturity level of an insensitive Twinkie hoarding third grader and whine his way out of a deal. This isn't the right way to think in life, but it is what has become of the free agent market across the league. Take, for instance, the case of Paul George, the one-time prodigy of the Indiana Pacers told his team in 2017 that he wanted out of the cornfields. This, in turn, forced the Pacers to deal him to the Oklahoma City Thunder, where he played what at the time was viewed as a one-year lease or a non-committal rental contract. This was a move so scrutinized to be a rental that even Bleacher Report's Game of Zones made a spoof of him inevitably vacating House Thunder with a Lakers tunic attached to his chest. With everyone banking on him to leave last summer, George stunned all critics by announcing at teammate Russell Westbrook's birthday party that he would be returning to the Thunder. Again, victory for the Twinkie-munching third grader. This would only be short-lived as exactly one year later he held GM Sam Presti and the rest of the Thunder organization hostage by demanding a trade of the Los Angeles Clippers to join superstar Kawhi Leonard. Keep in mind, this was at the end of the first year of a four-year deal he signed while Russell Westbrook was blowing out his birthday candles. George's situation, along with many others, then raises the question, are contracts essentially irrelevant in today's NBA?
George isn't the only one to backhand his team and one out of the relationship. Anthony Davis threw a tissy fit to the New Orleans Pelicans, all while wearing a That's All Folks t-shirt as he walked out of the Smoothie King Center. Both Al Horford and Kyrie Irving ghosted the Boston Celtics, and Jimmy Butler squirmed his way out of yet another playoff city to finally find that long-lost mediocre team in the Eastern Conference that will finally deal with his issues. All of this reiterates the phrase coined by His Majesty Barney Stinson that new is always better, hence the name of this show. That phrase is what free agents in the NBA live by. New is always better. And they're right. Except in the case of iPhone updates or Coca-Cola recipes or Tinder matches or Fast and the Furious movies or Imagine Dragons albums or Arizona Diamondbacks uniforms or Season 7 and 8 of Game of Thrones. But hey, in the minds of NBA players, new is always better. And this is what is shaping their landscape. Which brings us to this. The idea of loyalty is nearly dead. In fact, it is on life support entering this upcoming season. Fans of the NBA should inevitably say goodbye to any long-term relationships with their favorite players on their favorite teams. Gone are the days of Dirk Nowitzki, Manu Ginobili, and Tim Duncan. Now is the era of the two-year super team mentality and the swipe right version of free agency. Basketball fans need to embrace the idea of shipping off their favorite player's jersey to goodwill and in turn leasing the latest free agent name to come walking through the doors, a player who is already looking to be the next best thing somewhere else. Loyal players like Damian Lillard and Steph Curry will be outliers 20 years from now and will become scarce, if not non-existent, in the NBA landscape. So brace yourself, boys and girls, because we are about to enter the era of rentals. Finally, this past week, the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood crossed the $100 million plateau. The film is the ninth installment of Quentin Tarantino's Empire and subjectively sits in fourth place on his all-time list in between Kill Bill Volume 2 and Django Unchained. Once Upon a Time was brilliant in its presentation of the intricate details of 1969 Southern California. From a generational position, the film has very contrasting reviews in the sense that anyone alive who knows how to work a tape recorder thought the film was spectacular, while anyone born after Home Improvement became syndicated for Nick at Night thought the film was a disaster. For all members of the millennial generation and Generation Z listening to this, it's not our fault you think the Earth was created and that 9-11 happened three days later. Believe it or not, there are other fascinating elements in the history of civilization. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is brilliant in the sense that it captures the lives of people at very dichotomous placements in their life and is something that all of us will face over and over again as the clock ticks on. As Tarantino has hinted that he is reaching the end of his cinematic career behind the camera, we should all appreciate his brilliance in capturing such a violent and pivotal moment on film. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Tarantino's version of the Jordan Flu game, of Sampras's 2002 U.S. Open, or Jack at Augusta in 86. Regardless of the decade that holds your birth certificate, I challenge you to block off 161 minutes of your life to witness this spectacular piece of glory. Thank you for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week. If not, it'll be because an asteroid has destroyed all human civilization. And that's canon. <laughs>